Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. What up? How are we doing? Are we good? Everybody's good? It's awesome. Hey, I want to welcome everybody who's connecting with us online. Welcome to you, everybody who's on site. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on staff, and we're actually in the middle of a teaching series entitled Perspective. We're going to be pausing on that just for a week in light of Labor Day weekend. So I want you back here next Sunday. We're going to be finishing up a week four of that series. And today's going to be a standalone message, meaning uh, that I get to share just kind of some of the things I've been thinking about or maybe some of the discussions that uh, I've been working through in my own uh, spiritual journey. It actually kind of fits the theme of perspective. We're going to chat about that a little bit. But I just want to give you uh, kind of the, the foundational line that I'm going to jump from uh, as we dive into the message today. And, and here it is. This is, this is what I want to talk about today. Uh, it says this. You can't be for people, and that's capital F-O-R. You can't be for people until you feel what God feels for people. You can't be for people until you really understand and, and feel what God feels for people. So here's what I want us to uh, think about. It's, it's a good conversation in light of just things that are happening in our culture today. There's so much disunity. And uh, I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, just a sense of harshness. I don't know if you have felt that, uh, but 2020 has surely been a crazy year. But here's what I, I want you to think about. We all naturally uh, surround ourselves with people who like us and who are like us. I just want you to think about that. We naturally surround ourselves with people who like us and who are like us. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to go back to middle school just for a second. Now, some of you, middle school was like 60 years ago, so you got to think really hard. All right, get back there. Some of you are there right now. But in middle school, here's what you learn. You begin to learn that we segment ourselves into groups of people. Middle school was one of the first times I remember thinking, you know, uh, walking into the lunchroom for the very first time, oh man, I got to figure out where my people are because there are clearly different groups of people. And I got to first figure out who, who I am and then I got to figure out if that group will invite me to their table. Uh, and you, you know, we, we begin grouping people in middle school by how you look and how popular you are. Do you play sports? Are you in the band or whatever? There's so many different groups. And, and I, this is, no, this is no joke. My mom is watching right now. She, she can verify uh, online. I, I remember going to middle school and the first day coming back saying to my mom, Mom, I got to change up how, how, how I look. I got to dress differently. We got to go to the store and we got to buy uh, uh, these things called jeans because I had not owned a pair of jeans my whole life because growing up, I was a sweatpants kid. Anyone in here, sweatpants kid? Two people. All right, but I'm telling you, I was a sweatpants kid. And the reason why I love sweatpants because I thought in my mind I could run faster. All right. And then I got to middle school and I went, oh snap, it's not cool to wear sweatpants anymore. So I had to get some jeans because I saw a group of kids that I wanted to hang out with and in order to get in that group you had to look a certain way and that even continues in the high school doesn't even get better in fact it gets a little bit worse there's more groups now and I can remember even getting into high school there so much had to do with what you were wearing would depend on what group you could be in and when I was in high school there was these jeans uh, they were called Jinko jeans I don't know if you remember these Jinko jeans and if you don't know about them the goal was that you could wear these jeans and you were not able to see any part of your shoe. The bottom of the jean was literally a, a foot wide 
were two feet wide, and I'm not joking, maybe even three feet wide, and, and that was the goal, and you would spend $80 on these pair of jeans and, and just so you could be in that group. You want to be in that group because that's how kids were wearing jeans, and I've, I look back at pictures of me in Jinko jeans, and now I think, what an idiot that kid. What was he, what's he doing? Well, the reason why he's doing what he's doing is because he wants to be with a certain group of people. And for me to be in this group, I had to dress a certain way. And if I dress a certain way, then they would like me. And then I would be in a group of people who were just like me. And we do this even into adulthood. And we may not realize it, but we have segmented so many different parts of our lives. It's an adult version of what happens in the middle school lunchroom, but the conversations and the topics, it has changed a little bit. Now we segment because of politics or because of sports or because of sexual orientation or sexual identity or because of race or even because of religion. In fact, Christians, we, man, we're known for doing this really, really well. I mean, we're known for creating little subcultures within the culture that's made up for people who are just like us. I mean, there's a whole industry for that. And, and and, and, and we begin to demonize people. We begin to think negatively about people that are not in our group because they're in a, another group. They look different. They think different. They act different. And so they're not in our group of people. And if you're listening today and you're not a Christian, my guess is uh, one of the critiques you have about Christianity is this very thing. This, this, this way that we group people probably drives you crazy that Christians do this. And even though we surround ourselves with people who like us and we surround ourselves with people who are like us, here's what I want us to think about today. Jesus, he wasn't like that. Jesus wasn't like that at all. And if Jesus was here, and this is kind of hard to say and it's hard to hear, but if Jesus was actually here on this stage, I think he would tell us he wouldn't like that. He wasn't like that. And he wouldn't like us to live like that. When you do a deep dive into how Jesus lived his life in the New Testament, you'll find that he spent the majority of his time not with religious people. He actually spent most of his time with people who in that day and age, in that culture, were considered to be social outcasts. And I've said this phrase before, but people who were nothing like Jesus liked him. And I think that's pretty incredible. People that were nothing like Jesus really Liked him. I mean, the people who were the most comfortable in the temple were the most uncomfortable around Jesus. And the people 2,000 years ago who weren't welcomed into the temple because they were considered to be unclean were the ones who were the most comfortable around Jesus. And so people who are nothing like Jesus liked them. And then here's what Jesus did He liked them back. He liked them back. Jesus had this natural lean towards people who were far from God. He had this natural lean towards people who were nothing like him. He constantly broke through all kinds of social and cultural barriers. He, if he was in the middle school lunchroom, he would be inviting everybody to his table. Everybody. And, and if we were in the lunchroom with him, we'd probably come alongside of him and go, Hey, I, I don't think you should be inviting that person. Do you know who that person is? Do you know what they do on the weekends? Yeah, yeah, you don't want that person at your table. And yet Jesus would be inviting everybody to have a seat at his 
table. And I would argue that's the very reason why he got crucified. He made religious people so uncomfortable by how he interacted with people who were far different than him and far from God. And I think what we have to own, and and I'll own it too, that we oftentimes invite people to our table who look like us and talk like us and think like us, who agree with our opinions and believe the same thing we believe. It just naturally kind of happens that way. And some of, some of you may argue and go, well, I don't think that's a problem. And I would say, well, you might be right, except for the fact that it seems to be a problem with Jesus. Because he didn't live his life like that. So here's what I want to do. I just want to take a couple minutes today and jump into a story. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And if you grew up in the church, you know this story. But uh, just follow along uh, with me. I think it's a good refresher for us, again, in light of the season that we are living in. And uh, this story is written by a guy named John. It's, he's the author of the book. And John was one of the closest followers to Jesus. He had a upfront, he was a, a witness of how Jesus lived his life. And he gives this story in John chapter 4 that I think it fits in uh, to what we need to hear today. So the story starts off like this, John chapter 4 and verse 3. So he, talking about Jesus, so Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So John gives us just this little Middle Eastern geography lesson. Jesus is traveling from the north to the south. This is a trip that many Jews would take. And then he says in verse 4, now he, again, Jesus, he had, and that's an interesting word there, he had to go through Samaria. And I know a lot of you biblical scholars who just heard that because you are deep in the geography history of the New Testament go, that's not true. He didn't have to go through Samaria and you would be right. You'd be right. He didn't actually have to go through Samaria. In fact, most of the Jews in that day, when they would go from the north to the south, they would follow kind of the Jordan River to the east. They would do everything they could to stay out of Samaria. And you can actually almost kind of do it. You just kind of have to skirt the edge just a little bit. But you didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, it was common and a custom that if you were Jewish, you would not go through Samaria. You wouldn't go through. And the reason why is because Jews and Samaritans do not like each other. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But the most direct route, the fastest route, From point A to point B would be to go right through Samaria. But you don't have to go that way unless apparently your name is Jesus. And then you do. So Jesus does. He goes right through. He goes right through Samaria. Uh, And and look what it says here, uh, starting in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, or however you want to say it, near the plot ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So this is a real place. John's giving us, you know, some history, like this, this place actually exists. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. It's 12 o'clock. Now, why is John telling us what time of the day it is? Well, if you've ever been to the Middle East, I haven't, but have you been? you might have learned that it's blazing hot in the middle of the day. And some people would be going to the well when it's the hottest part of the day because they're not really interested in bumping into anybody or having any kind of conversation. Now, again, I've never been to the Middle East, but I have lived in Florida for three years, and I know what it's like in the month of July in Florida at 12 o'clock with a 1,000% humidity. I know exactly what it's like, and here's what I know. Nobody wants to be outside. 
Nobody. Nobody wants to go out. Why? Because it's too stinking hot. In fact, it's so hot. The golf course is in Florida. After 12 o'clock in summer months actually reduced their golf rate. Some of them almost up to 75%. You want to know why? Because nobody wants to golf. Know who wants to golf in the middle of the summer at 12 o'clock when it's 1,000 degrees outside? This guy. And we would go out. And the reason why we would go out, not only because it was cheaper, but because nobody else was there. Because some of you old folks need to speed up your golf game a little bit, all right? But we would go out there and we could play each hole twice in a normal eight. What would normally take us, you know, just to do a normal round, we could actually play two rounds. Because you would just look around, we were the only people crazy enough to be there, and the thing that kept people away was the heat. So John leans in, he goes, hey, I just want to let you know, somebody's about to show up at this well, but you need to know when they're showing up. Because that tells us a whole lot about this person. They actually came at the hottest part of the day. Why? Because they didn't want to be around anybody. And somebody shows up. Verse 7, and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Uh, Now, this would have been odd for this woman because she's not used to having conversations at the well around noon. So I'm sure she's taken aback a little bit. Verse 8, his disciples had gone into the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John, again, gives us a little bit of history here almost as if knowing people are going to read this thousands of years later. And the reason why this is so odd and the reason why the woman is responding in such a way is because of this. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. They don't get along. In fact, they have a deep, almost hate for one another. And there's a lot of history here and we could get into it, but I'll just summarize like this. We have two groups of people that have been in verbal disputes for hundreds of years and that led to insults and then insults led to violence. And in Jesus' day, this is interesting, in Jesus' day, the greatest insult that you could say to a Jewish person was to call them a Samaritan. In in our day, it'd almost be like a, a racial slur talking about a group of people. That was the dislike between these groups of people. John knows this and he's leaning in. This is why he's telling the story. And he's saying, look, 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 look here. Jesus is pushing through so many levels of, of cultural and social boundaries. He's doing something right here that nobody else is doing. Not just a man talking to a woman at a well at noon, but a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan Woman, this conversation in the context of their culture should not be happening. And John is saying this, look, 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 listen, listen, this is different. How is Jesus different? John's going, listen, listen, this is different. This is what made Jesus so different. Keeps going, verse 10, and Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. So Jesus kind of playing on the, 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 the word water here. He changes the context of the conversation. He's not talking about the physical need of a drink, but now he's talking about something totally different. He's saying to her, listen, there is something. If you knew who you're talking to, I actually have something that every single person on this planet is looking for. And I can meet it. 
I'm the guy, I'm the one who can actually restore your relationship with the Father. Everybody needs what I'm able to provide. But she doesn't pick up on this new language, probably because she's so shocked. There's a dude there and he's Jewish and it's 12 o'clock and she's not used to it. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Translation, bro, you didn't even bring a bucket. You want to get on me about how I should be asking you for water. I'm the one with the bucket. You got nothing. The conversation keeps going. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. Again, talking about the well, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, so he explains it another way. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's saying, look, I, again, the whole mission of Jesus, he goes, I, I came to, to, to rescue those who were lost. I came to bring water to those who were thirsty. I, I'm on a mission to rescue people who are far from the Father. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to this stinking hot well at 12 o'clock every day. If you could give me some of that water, that'd be great because I'm getting really tired of coming here in the middle of the day. Now, just pause here for a second in the context of the conversation. I imagine this woman's getting a little excited for the possibility that she's going to be able to experience this new living water that Jesus talks about, even though she doesn't fully understand it. And yet I also wonder if in this woman, this woman is thinking, he must not know who I am. He must not know. If he knew who I was, he wouldn't be offering me a seat at his table to have a drink of water. Nobody talks to this woman like this because she is considered to be immoral. We're about to find out. She has a past. She has a history. She's made some poor decisions. Now, she knows that, but she's thinking that maybe this guy doesn't. And so, man, what? she's lucked out. This is amazing. She's going to get something that in her mind she would never be able to receive. And so she, she's probably nervous and yet very excited all at the same time. But here's what we know about Jesus. Jesus knows you, right? I've always joked before that when you're around Jesus, don't be thinking stuff because he knows what you're thinking. And Jesus knows this woman. Look at this, verse 16. So he told her, go call your husband and come back. Hey, go get your, go get your, your, your hubby, come back here and we can do this together. Instead of having two conversations, we can just have one. And I'll explain to you and explain to him about this living water. In verse 17, she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. And this lady who 30 seconds ago was about up here probably feels like she's right down here. Here we go. Here we go. I thought I had a shot. And now apparently somehow this guy knows my past. He knows who I am. He's put the puzzle together. He knows exactly why I'm here at 12 o'clock at the hottest part of the day. And now I'm not going to be able to get this water. Verse 18. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have is not your husband. And what you have just said is quite true. And here's what I think Jesus is leaning in. He's letting her know that he knows first who she is. And he goes. This is what I think he's saying. I know who you are. I know who you are, and I know why you are here during the hottest part of the day. But 
but you are still welcome to come and sit and have a drink. Your past is not going to get in the way of my invitation. See, this is brand new. And your past doesn't have to get in the way of you accepting my invitation. Again, this woman is a social outcast. She's been marked as immoral. She's, been, she's now unmarried. She's been married for five times. And the man she's with now is not her husband. And a reminder is this, that God knows your stuff. He knows your poor habits. He knows about the addiction. He knows about the affair. He knows about the words and the actions. And you can hide those things from other people, but you can't hide it from God. However, this doesn't mean that you don't get an invitation to the table. You can still come and sit at his table. You can still receive it no matter what your past looks like. And the woman says to Jesus, wow, I, you've told me things that other people you know, may not necessarily know. And so you're obviously a prophet. And Jesus goes, well, there's a little bit more to it than that. And then the woman says this, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah. I know what you're talking about called Christ, called Jesus. He's coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, what a cool moment. The hottest part of the day, sitting around a well. And Jesus goes, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You're right. There is a day coming and the day is now when Christ will come and he will make all things right. He's going to explain these things. And here's the thing, this story in John 4, it's, it utterly destroys all of our misconceptions about who should be sitting at our table. I mean, this moment, it changes everything for this woman and what she thought about God and what she thought about how God felt about her changed in a 10-minute conversation. And we know that because of what happens next. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the very reason why she came, doesn't even care anymore. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And I just wonder if the reason why John puts his story in his book is, is to allow Jesus to begin pushing us to reevaluate who is at our table, who is welcome to sit at our table. And we at least today have to be honest with ourselves about who is already sitting at our table. And here's what we may find, that we see some things that are, are in common when it comes to the people who are sitting at, their, at our table. Maybe it's their skin color or how much money they make or where they stand in the context of politics or what they believe in concerning their own sexual orientation or their education or maybe where they live or where they don't live. Let me just push in a little bit more. Have you ever been in an environment where you're thinking to yourself, I hope, and you can fill in the blank, this kind of person doesn't walk in right now. Have you ever been on an airplane and you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, I hope this person, again, you can fill in the blank for yourself, doesn't come on this airplane and sit next to me. I hope they don't. I've got this middle seat and I'm praying to God and you have an idea of who that person is and you do not want them. For me, it's probably the talker, you know what I'm talking about? Just, just talking too much, right? But you know that person and you're thinking to yourself, right? I do not want them to come in and sit down in my row. Why? Because they're different than me. They may think different than me. They may act different than me. They may talk different than me. But I don't want them near me. 
I think Jesus is at least challenging all of us to evaluate how we engage with people. And here's the question that I would encourage you to wrestle with this week. If Jesus was, was here, if he was in, in, in the flesh walking with us right now, how do you think Jesus would engage in the world we live in right now? How would he engage with people who think differently than him, who look differently, who talk differently? And I'll be honest, if you would really take that question seriously, it's not a fun question. It's not fun to begin thinking about how he would engage and then look at how I have engaged. To look at Jesus hanging out as a middle schooler in the lunchroom this week and who would be sitting at his table. And if I was in that room, who would be sitting at my table? Here's what I think. There would be people at Jesus' table who acted and looked and believed nothing like he looks or acts or believes. See, I think the church, I think followers of Jesus, we should be the most curious people on the planet. What Jesus had going for him is that he knew everything about everybody. That's what allowed him to love people and serve people so well. And, and here's the truth of it. When you know people, you treat them differently. When they're at your table, you treat them in a way that you, you don't treat people that are not at your table table. Why? Because you know their story. You know who they are. You allow them way more grace. And yet if they're not at your table, it is so easy to demonize. And you don't even know them. Just think about this example, because some of you are like, not true. And it is true. Listen, I've got four girls at home. My oldest is a freshman in high school this year. It's blown me away. I'm getting so old and it's crazy. Um, but let's just say the next year, my oldest, Rai, she gets a, she gets a job as a waitress in town somewhere, she gets a job. And on her first day of work, I, I get my, my wife and my other three girls, I go, hey, let, let's go to the restaurant. It's, it's Rye's first day. And she's, and she's a, a waitress now. And so we go and we go to the restaurant and Rye's serving us and we're so excited. And because it's her first day and she's never been a waitress before, things are not going very well, right? I order a Diet Coke, she brings me out a Coke. That's a huge mistake, girl. All right, you gotta fix that. That's not what I order. The food, it takes long for the food to get there. The food gets there, the order's not right. Uh, uh, the food is cold. The whole experience isn't going well. Rye's not refilling my drinks, right? Now, what's happening in that moment? I have so much, you know, compassion and grace for this waitress. Why? Because I know her and she lives in my house and she has amazing parents. I mean, just amazing parents. And I just, and so when this is happening, what I'm thinking is, oh man, after this shift, I want to make sure I get with Rye and just give her some feedback of how she can get better. I'm sitting at the table, not thinking about how the tip is getting less. I'm thinking about how the tip is going higher. Why? Because I know her and I know it's her first day and I know where she lives. Okay. And, and, and I know this is a big day for her. Now, if you walk in on the same day, Rye's first day and you sit down and you have a poor experience, the same kind of experience I have with Raya being my waitress, you don't offer her the same thing that I do, do you? Because you don't know her. And you've got an expectation of how the service should be, and that's not even bad. You should expect that your drink would be right, that your order would be right, that your food is hot, and it's good. But while you're having a poor experience, your tip is going down while mine is going up. And the only thing that's different is because I know that kid's story and you don't. How can we ever feel and be for people the way God is for people if we aren't the most curious people in the world? 
to ask questions, to, to lean in, to, to learn, to understand, to see it from a different perspective and go, how could it be that somebody would believe something totally different than me? We should think about that. Why would that person choose to sit at a different table and not mine? What am I doing that would keep that person from coming to my table? And I wonder if the key in all of this is just to be a little bit more curious, to get to know people, to quit throwing rocks and start giving invitations to a meal. Now, some are listening and going, yeah, 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 but when do we confront? When do we confront people who, who we believe they're thinking wrong or they're thinking different or they're just doing things that aren't good? And listen, I'm all about confronting. Jesus confronted the woman at the well. I mean, they're just having a conversation about water and he goes, hey, go get your husband. It's a little bit tense. And he is confronting. Jesus has no issue with confrontation. But here's what I know, his approach, at least from what I can tell, looks a lot different than the approach that many of us use today when we confront people. Because when Jesus confronted when he confronts the woman at the well, his approach is filled with care and concern and love for this woman. He doesn't confront to win an argument. And I would remind all of us that no, God has called none of us to go win an argument. He's called you to love people. He's called you to like people. He's called you to love people. And here's what I know to be true, and I think this is so needed in today's world. Hey, you want to go confront? Do it. You believe in Jesus, and you want to go talk to somebody about abortion or homosexuality or politics or culture or gender identity? It's 2020. We can throw in COVID. You want to go have a conversation about masks and should we or shouldn't we? Man, go ahead and go for it. But you better make sure, this is what John says through the story of Jesus in John chapter four. You better make darn sure that when the conversation is done, the person on the other side of you says as they walk away, wow, I think that guy, I think that girl likes me even though they don't agree with me. We'll even go as radical to live as Jesus and say, I think that guy actually loves me. And they don't even look at this situation the very same as me. This is what made Jesus different. Not to win an argument, but to choose to be close and to confront with care and compassion. And he can do it because he's curious about people and their story. This is how Jesus lived. And what would happen for a church? We tend to be a little bit more curious with a much different approach for confrontation. Here's what I think. I think people who are nothing like you just might like you. And then maybe you might be able to like them back. You might have a seat open at your table for somebody who doesn't see it the same way you do. And here's what I know, that Jesus takes out all the excuses of why you shouldn't be inviting them to your 
table. You know what this season is for the church? It's a season for us to grow up a little bit. To grow up. To stop segmenting our lives and pushing people out. And instead being strong enough in our faith to say, even if I don't think like you, come on, of course you have a seat at my table. Because Jesus made a seat from me at his. This is how we have been called to live. You can't be for people until you feel how God feels towards people. And how can you feel how God feels towards people if we don't know people? So come on, let's invite. Let's invite people to get close, to sit down at the table who are far different than us and like them. Not because they're like us or maybe not even because they do like us, but because that's how we've been called to live. Not just with some, but with all. Let me pray for us. Father, today I thank you for a story that John will record. Here we are 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, and it hits true. We may be in the history of the world are more diverse than ever, and yet we're the most disunified. We're the most segmented. We, we have built walls. We have framed up how we live our lives with keeping certain people out. And I pray that we would be humble today as we see how you saw people, how you loved people, that you had, you had to go through Samaria. How could you not? Because there were people there who have yet to discover who you were and how would they know unless you would go? I pray that our tables would open up for people who are far different than us, that we would be a group of people like-minded about Jesus who would be curious to listen and to hear and to understand other perspectives, other views, that we wouldn't be so threatened in what we believe because somebody believes something different than us, that we would push back against the lie that I think the evil one has implanted into us today, which is this, that if you don't agree with me, then you don't like me. And that is so far from the truth. And we have been called to love people and people who were nothing like your son liked them. And he liked them back. And for this woman at a well in the middle of the day, changed her life. So help us to lean in, help us to view and to think about people like you do. People who are far different, than us. Would you work in the midst of those relationships and that curiosity and those confrontations? Would you do what you do? Would you draw people in? Would you allow them to see, maybe for the first time, who your son is all about? Now, we may be the best people on this planet who go and grab people by the hand and go, you gotta come sit at this table. And I know you don't think you should, and I don't, you may not even think you can, but I sat there and I met someone who changed my life and he can change your life. And he's inviting you to something different. May we be a church that falls in line with that heart and that vision who sets up those kind of tables. We pray this in the name of the ones, the reason why we've gathered here today and his name is Jesus. And the church said.